Alrighty, First Peter, First Peter, and this session we're over in chapter two. First Peter, chapter two. We've left off at the end of verse ten, and uh, lest it take three years to go through these five chapters, we'll just continue as we are, and we're going to pick it up in verse eleven. Now, to me, verse eleven is a great verse and of course it really is connected to uh, verse 12 in the sentence and the context obviously we always believe in a context we practice contextual bible study it is not good practice nor safe practice to take things out of context now it's it's a good thing it's a powerful thing to claim verses individual verses, but as long as you have them in context. There is a a danger in teaching people that they can just take any promise, however it's worded in the Bible, and just appropriate it without considering the context of both the verse and of their life. And uh, we don't really have time to go into that. That's a, a part of Bible teaching and foundation. But when we say this, this passage is a great passage to get hold of. So he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. You know, it's strange to me, and I know everyone looks at it differently. It's strange to me that that people want to change so much to try to make it easy to understand. When one of the great exercises of studying your Bible is that you take your mind, and I take my mind, and I conform it to the Bible. By doing so, it elevates my thinking. It elevates my understanding. It even educates me. Okay? Because if I come across a phrase or a thought, I'm going to do one thing. And my students have gotten weary of it, but then they got in the habit of it. And that is this weariness. Look it up. There are a lot of different places you can look it up, but you can't go wrong. If you're an English-speaking person and you've got an English Bible, you can't go wrong starting with one authority and then look it up. Just look it up. You'd be surprised in something like a Webster's Dictionary, which is so readily available now, on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, hard copies, etc., You'd be greatly surprised how amazing your Bible is. For example, dearly beloved, I beseech you. When you beseech somebody, you are, you are making a strong plea. See, I beseech you. And rather than dumbing down our vocabulary or dumbing down your Bible, let's let God elevate us, educate us. That's what makes a Bible-believing Christian so fascinating. That's what makes a Bible-believing carpenter, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, fascinating to the world, and often offensive, I understand, but it's the fact that here's a, a fisherman, here's a tax collector, okay, here's a zealot, and they're opening up the scriptures. Here's these men of Galilee, here's these men that are considered ignorant and unlearned, and they're what? They're opening the scriptures. So for you and I, as boots on the ground, you know, carpenters and bricklayers and plumbers and, 
just any occupation as men and women, when we're able to open the Bible and converse about the Bible in right there in the text, that you can open it and show somebody and not tell them, well, if you knew this, you know, if you knew this language or if you knew this, you'd really be able to get some insight. God didn't make the Bible like that. He made that Bible so that if he dropped it down anywhere or you anywhere in the world and gave you a chance to learn it, you could. So this is what's so powerful. Dearly beloved, I beseech you. So Simon Peter's saying, please, listen up. Not please as in, oh, would you, I'm begging you. No. He's just making it, it's an order, it's a command, but he's trying to make it palatable. It's, it's like this. There's a difference between saying to you, to your, uh, one of your children, teenagers, for example. There's a difference between saying, will you take out the rubbish? Okay? Big difference between saying that and saying, please take out the rubbish. The first, you're giving them an option. And if they come back and say, no, I, really, I just don't really feel like doing that right now. Well, that's your fault for the way you ask the question. But if it's not a question, it's just a politeness, please take out. So it's not, please will you, it's please take out the trash. In other words, I'm being polite, and I'm giving you an order, and an order is an order. And we better learn that because it's called the commandments of God and the precepts of God, not the suggestions of God, okay? Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as, in your Bible, you mark those, when you see that little word as, or the four-letter word like, you should mark it. You can use a little highlighter. I've been using for a while these, they're, they're a gel highlighter, almost like a crayon soda. They don't bleed through the page, and you just barely have to, con- to touch it, you know, and you, uh, it, they're really good. You highlight it, you go as, okay, so I, I, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as. So he's going to give us a picture, an illustration. He said, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And not necessarily right now or today will they glorify you. God. So as strangers and pilgrims. Okay, so the picture is someone who's not from a place. When you become a born-again child of God, you're a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ. You're different. The Bible uses the word peculiar, which we spoke of last time. You're a stranger. And the more you learn of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, the more you're a stranger in this world. You're an outsider. Now, let us not be, as I've observed many from, say, the United States of America when they are in a different country, and that is this, obnoxious, offensive, superior acting. Many years ago, many, uh, 1982, I think it was, I'm on a, a city bus in Sydney, Australia, and I sat almost all the way to the back to watch 
and it's going through the city. People getting on, people getting off. You know, it was a uh, main way of transportation within the city. And in that front, right-hand side, was a fellow. You had no trouble t- knowing what he was by the way he's dressed. You know, he had on, in those days, like what we, they used to call the, the long, the Bermuda shorts and had long white socks, but not the kind like they wear, you know, to play golf and stuff in in Australia. Just, he was, he was an American. Now listen, down there, anyone who's from the United States is a Yank. Didn't matter if they were above or below the Mason-Dixon line. But he was definitely from up north, northern part of America, with his accent, and loud. And everything was about how we did it in the United States. And I sat back there and I was like, you know, it is no wonder people get fed up with Americans. Let us not be that way. Now, when it comes to the Bible, yes, the Bible says, But we are not superior from everybody else because we're saved and know some Bible. No, we're just supposed to be a blessing. We're not better. We're just better off in the sense of our eternal home, uh, our daily experience. So we're strangers. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere where they primarily spoke a different language. It can be really uh, confusing sometimes. Bombard your senses. And so we're strangers, and then it says we're pilgrims. So a pilgrim is someone who's on their way somewhere else. Now, the reason this is so important, you're not a pilgrim, so to speak, till you become a stranger. In other words, you come to Christ, now you're a stranger to this world, and you might be a little bit stranger, but now you're a pilgrim because you're going somewhere. So... Ephesians tells us, for example, that our citizenship has changed. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, legally, you're going to be a citizen of whatever country and state you're in. But I believe many a believer, I know this in the United States of America, believers today have totally forgotten that you're not a citizen of the USA. You're a citizen of heaven. Now, that doesn't mean you don't obey the powers because he's actually going to talk about it. Verse 13, submit every ordinance of man. So I submit and I follow the things, but my citizenship's in heaven, meaning not that I'm not subject to wherever I'm at down here, but I'm I'm primarily subject to even a higher source, and it doesn't make me exempt to the earthly laws. It puts upon me a greater responsibility to fulfill them. That as much as possible, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now he's going to give us advice for people who are strangers, pilgrims, people who are traveling in a place where there's some dangers. Now I don't know about you, but I was talking with a pastor yesterday. We were just talking about uh, people visiting mission fields and different parts of the world and stuff. And there's some mission fields that that you're not um, in danger necessarily uh, just from eating the food. In fact, there's some mission fields that really do need the gospel, but they're very modern, and uh, they've got some interesting food, cuisine, you know, and stuff. But then there's others where, you know, you could easily get sick. Uh, You could easily be in danger. You could easily be in discomfort. And we were talking, for example, about parts of India and what it would be like for... Christians go over there and 
and visit the culture. Talking about places like, you know, Papua New Guinea and different places in South America and Africa. And it's in contrast to many of the European cities. So we're about to read some advice that has to do with the advice that has been given to strangers and pilgrims, believers on their way to heaven, (coughs) and it's about the dangers. So watch. (coughs) Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now this is real important. And the reason it's important is because there is a battle all the time against the soul of the believer. Now, not against your salvation. Okay, so you're sealed under the day of redemption. And that's, you know, a teaching all itself. But uh, if you get under your Bible or someone teaches you the Bible, you'll get this hold of this thing on uh, eternal security and stuff like that. But the thing to get hold of is that our soul is who we are inside us. Do not try to hyper-divide your Bible, you know. The, the Word of God, Hebrews 4, can divide between soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. But you and I can't, so be careful. In your teaching, even, be careful. So picture this, abstain from flesh lusts which war against the soul. So what is the picture he's giving us here? The, here's how an old-time writer put it. The grand mischief of the flesh is to war against the soul. Would you get a truth? You are not your old nature. If you are born again, if you're saved, you are not your old nature. You are your new nature. So the flesh is not you. So when you read Romans 6 and 7, please go on and read Romans 8. And that's where I think people fall short. That's where I think a lot of teaching leaves the believer kind of in the lurches, we would say, in some places. He leaves them in no man's land. Because in Romans 7, he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But he doesn't stop there. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God with the flesh, the law of sin. And then he goes on to give us how this works. And the way it works is, first of all, the fact that you are a new creature in Christ. You're not a new creation yet. I understand that. And that is, a, that is a poorly translated in some of these New English versions. You're not a new creation yet because you're in your body. When you are a new creation, you won't have the flesh hanging around trying to aggravate you. But he said abstain from fleshly. Would you circle those two letters? L-Y. When something's L-Y, it's like something. So, you are not your flesh, but those fleshly lusts will present themselves. And honestly, it's no different than if you go to the store. It's no different than if you were uh, listening to the radio. It's no different than if you're watching something that utilizes advertising, okay, and commerce. It's no different than going down to the home home improvement stores, and 
and all the we, we joke, you know, the end caps where they put them out there to get your attention. And sometimes it's stuff that you wouldn't go there to get, but you see it and they, they tell you it's on sale or they tell you there's a deal or this or that. And the next thing you know, it's in the cart or it's in the basket. Okay. It's in the buggy. So when we are going through this life, they're fleshly lust. It's not just sensual or sexual. It can be possessions. It can be achievements. I mean, literally, we could, I could, it could go on and on and on, all the different things it could be. It could be this, a sense of accomplishment and pride that isn't appropriate. It could be a sense of competition. It could be any of the things in Galatians 5. So, they're fleshly lusts and they war against the soul. Here's a good illustration. You go to a place, for example, a country, and your body isn't accustomed to that place. So one of the first things they tell you is what? Don't drink the water. Why? Because there's stuff in the water that people who've lived there all their life are used to. And even some of them aren't necessarily used to it. They will have their, their periodic bouts of illness. I've seen people get very, very ill, thinking that they could just ignore that advice. Sometimes you'll travel or you'll be places and they'll say, don't eat this or that while you're there because the, the meat, for example, isn't as properly prepared and your body isn't ready for it. Your body isn't used to it or accustomed to it. That's the picture here. He's saying, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And, and with that, he ties it in Having your conversation. Conversation is your life. Conversation is how you live your life. It is what you say, but it's how you live. What you communicate by your life. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, by the way, the rest, he goes on in the passage. We won't get to it today. But he's going to talk about What are some of those good works? Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. I I commented recently to a group and I said I've believed this for four decades, preached it for three decades, for 30 years, that one of the great idols of American Christianity is liberty. Because it is constantly promoted that that's what we have, we are owed. We're owed liberty. That's why the United States exists. Da, da, da. And God says, use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. And God says, if you want real liberty in Christ, you've got to give up your liberty to Christ. Amen. See, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Not where the Spirit of liberty is, is there liberty. And that's what has led many a believer and many a congregation astray on this liberty thing, liberty of worship and all that. See, what leads them astray is they're they're not even identifying what the liberty is God's talking about, number one. And number two, how to get there. The greatest liberty I have in my life is that I have no liberty. I've given it to Jesus Christ. And that liberates me from all the other stuff. So he said, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. 
So let's picture it this way. Let's picture something you might not even think it's lust, okay? You might just think it's you want it. Someone says, you know, thou shalt not covet. And someone says, well, I don't want that fellow's truck or car. I just want one just like it. <laughs> I don't want their house, but I want one like it. I don't want their clothes, but I want something like it. It gets worse when it's actually personal. Okay? He said, thou shalt not covet what? He said, thy neighbor's manservant and maidservant, but he said his wife. Amen? You get it? In other words, abstain from fleshly lust. What do they do? They war against the soul. We're in a, we're in a warfare, spiritual warfare, but everybody on earth knows that if you want to live an effective life, it's warfare. It's mental warfare. It's spiritual warfare. For us as believers, we understand it even more because we know who and what is behind the world system in the flesh. So get a picture today. If I get nothing across, get this picture of a stranger and a pilgrim and you're walking through life. So let's take commerce. Why do people pay companies millions of dollars to advertise? Why? They would like to sell you something. <laughs> and they would like to sell as many of us people as they can something. So they're trying to create a desire for it. When they can create a need in your mind for it, they're getting somewhere. But if they can create an absolute, a lust for it, you might say, a desire for it. Now, one of the definitions of lust in English is an any inordinate affection. In other words, an affection that's out of order. Uh, when someone wants to put something into their body that actually will hurt their body and also will cost them dearly and even turn them to a life of, say, crime or deception, that's a, that's a lust. And you would probably identify that as someone who's addicted, has a drug habit, etc., alcohol habit. But in our own lives, we should keep short accounts of what we desire, example, what we spend our money on, what we spend our time and energy on, our minds on. What do you think about? Is your mind obsessed with what each government's doing on the face of the earth? I'll give you an example. I got an email forwarded to me from a fellow, good fellow, Christian fellow. But the majority of what I get is about Whatever's going on in this world, and the recent thing is that the the all the all the indicators are that the things that exist in China to oppress the people are being implemented here in the in the United States. Of course they are. Of course they are. There's always going to be the ambition to rule and control and to influence people. It's always going to be at work, but it doesn't matter. It was at work and. And all through the Old Testament, it was worked through all, been all through the church age. Every leader, every uh, pastor, every Christian has had to face this. Every, all, have always had to face it. That's just how it is. But that's not what we're here for. Because this world's not our home, we're just passing through. So we're here for the gospel's sake and Jesus' sake. We're not here... And, and so many of you are reading prophecies and trying to predict things and looking at current events. I love what Phillips Brooks said when he delivered some lectures in 1877. 
at Yale Divinity School, 1877. He said, do not use current events in your messages. 1877, he said this. Do you understand? All they had then was basic communication, the ba most basic of communications in those days. He said, do not use current events. He said, and as, you, as some countries would say, or some cultures, the jury is still out. In other words, you don't know where this thing's going to play out two or three or four or five months or two or three or four or five years or 15 or 20 years from now. Preach the Bible. You want to use illustrations? Do it the way Charles Spurgeon did and those men. D.L. Moody, they would take things from nature and from life and they would apply them, things that were safe for people to put their thoughts and their confidence in. All right, so what we want to do is we want to make sure that as strangers and pilgrims that we abstain from these fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I, I encourage people. I've learned this from a couple old timers. I do it myself. I've got, I keep track of what is a danger to me first and foremost. Now, most of you want to talk about what's a danger to everybody else. I like to know what's a danger to me. And just as if you were going, say, to a, a certain country or a certain terrain or a certain culture or a certain place where there were different diseases and different stuff like that, dangers, I want to know what the danger is to me first so that I'm aware of these fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, he said the solution before we close to, for today, the solution is to do what? <laughs> Abstain. <coughs> the positive answer is no. It's a positive thing to say no, to decline, to delete. It's a positive thing. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain. The word no is a good word when it's used like this. We have to constantly practice saying no to ourselves or no to something that's presented. No. Just learn it. No. If you come from a culture of, of outwardly overt politeness, doesn't mean that in their heart people are polite, okay? Trust me, I've been in several cultures that people appear to be polite and all that and in, in reality they're as tough and stubborn as they can get but if in in that culture it's overt you know oh yes oh yes in manners be careful because you need to learn to say no no i can't do that and and not make excuses all the time don't lie now you don't have to do the tmi too much information you don't have to do that you don't have to try to justify the no. No, I can't do that. No, I won't do that. There's times you, you don't give a lecture of how spiritual you are because you don't do it. You just say no. You just decline it. You just say no. Okay? So when we think of these things, I believe it's important for us to remember we are to abstain from these fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So you should identify them. You need to. You need to identify them. If you can identify them, it's going to help you. 
Uh, I even have certain things. I got a few rules for myself so that I can identify. That's a temptation. And it might be the most harmless looking thing. Now, I don't know about you. Everybody's got their thing. Everybody. Everybody's either got the store or the... (coughs) You fellas, a lot of us, man, you go to a hardware store, a tool store, home improvement store. They've got everything out there. Now, now, hear me out. Uh, I had a situation recently, had to do some uh, repair on, on machinery I hadn't ever done repair on. Uh, through the years, I've accumulated a few tools and different things uh, for projects and stuff. And I, that day, I was so thankful. I could literally open up the toolbox, open one of the drawers. There it was, what I needed. Okay? So it's not that it, God doesn't ever use those things, but I said this recently to a group. I said, what if you walked through your house or walked through your workshop, walked through your garage or whatever, and said to yourself, looked in your closet, your wardrobe, and said, looked at one thing at a time, said, did God, would God have bought this? Did, God, did the Lord, does he want his money spent on this? Now, you do what you want. It is impossible if you've got any conscience not to get a little bit under conviction. And the more you say no, then the less you have to, you know, get under conviction, but it's impossible. Because sometimes, now sometimes the Lord will say to you, no, it's okay to have that. That's, you know, recreational, but it's okay. But have you noticed that this world is all about getting you to want, even to need? And so as we are strangers and pilgrims, we're to abstain. Now there are overt wickednesses. Today, with the use of, of electronics and communication and digital and all those different words, you know, internet and phones and stuff, one of the greatest pervading influences of society is pornography. It's rampant. A multi-billion dollar industry. And if the love of money is the root of all evil, then that's one of the things that drives it. And the other is that this world wants to decay Humanity. The devil wants to decay humanity and he's got all kinds of spirits to help him. So, remember that. So it can be on that very base, base level of things like pornography. It can be on things like bitterness. It can be on things like anti-government. Anti-rules. Uh, In other words, anything infringes on your liberty. It can be on all kinds of things and the solution of those things is to for us to abstain. You want to throw a verse in there for yourself, for others, if you're discipling and helping, I'll give you a verse. And it's, it's I know, you, some of you all get tired of me mentioning this authorized version, but here's, here's what it says to you, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5.22, write this reference down, please. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, get this. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And you look it up in your other stuff, and it don't say that. It'll say, from all kind, abstain from all kinds of evil. No, abstain from all appearance of evil. If that is not artfully and carefully written, I don't know what is. It means don't even look like it. An old-timer said, and you'd have to get this if you kind of lived in the southern part of the United States, 
where they grow watermelons and stuff. And uh, we're in March of uh, 2023. Won't be long. A few more months. We'll get some fresh watermelons. He said, don't even, don't bend over and tie your shoe in your neighbor's watermelon patch. In other words, don't even look like you're down there stealing a watermelon. Don't even look like it. Okay? Abstain from all appearance of evil. That thing in First Thessalonians 5 has got a whole list of things. That's like the 13th thing in the list of things to be aware of and don't do. <coughs> Excuse me. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Why is this so important? Because that's what he's telling us here. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, there is no way to make that a positive statement without knowing about the judgment seat of Christ and knowing that that will help you to have the right life, the right conversation before the world. And though they may not appreciate it today, it says, they shall behold, they sh- at which they shall behold, verse 12, will glorify God in the day of visitation. There'll come a time when God will say, Y'all saw that, didn't you? Yes, we did. And you know, God, they were showing that you're worthy. We didn't see it at the time. We treated them like they were doing evil. We treated them like they were, you know, like legalistic or, you know, separatist stuff. And, and see, we're not talking about telling somebody they got to have uh, uh, this strict code of dress. However, however, would you really want to stand before God the way some people dress? Maybe some of you. Would you really want to stand before God in that skimpy clothing or suggestive clothing or, or just personally outrageous clothing? Would you really want to stand? Would you address the Lord, come up to the Lord at the throne and say, uh, I, I want to thank you for saving me, you know, and, and, and Lord, I, I, I want you to know how much I respect you and love you. And he's like, then why are you dressed like a clown? Or why are you showing your body off? What is going on? And see, we forget that. It's, it's so simple, isn't it? So it's not a matter of me trying to tell you or whatever, but I'll, please get the picture. Abstain, abstain, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. You don't want it to defeat your soul. That can happen on a daily basis. It's not going to send you to hell. We know the Bible teaches eternal security. Plain and simple. We don't need to get all confused by the modern press towards, you know, Calvinism and all that. We don't need that. We don't need it. No, we don't. But there is a battle in your soul. Later on, we'll go down through this passage. I hope you'll get this. These passages, this passage here. Now, I've, it's been my lot in life to travel. Uh, I, one time in New Guinea, we were out there and we had exhausted the water we carried with us. Long, I mean, sometimes four, five, six hours of walking, hiking to get from one village to another or get back to base. And then sometimes uh, didn't just, especially me, <coughs> coming in from out of country <clears throat> and you're up there hiking and the t- everything's different. You're burning up more water, you know, sweating. And that canteen would get dry. You'd have several on you. And you'd carry those little water purifying pills and stuff. I remember one time I went to, I mean, this stream is a little trickling stream, maybe a meter wide or less. That water looks so refreshing. And I went to dip my canteen and Ted said, don't do that. 
don't do that. I said, look at it. It's, he goes, you know what's at the top of that hill? That's where they got those old wild hogs penned up. He said, don't tell them what's in that water, even though it looks clean. They got a bush over there, a bright red fruit on I mean, man, when you're thirsty, you just, all you can think of is, man, if I could pop that in my mouth, that'll help me. And he'd say, don't do that. Don't do that. Make you sick. Could even kill you. And there's been so many times when he said that that I've thought to myself, ready? Garden of Eden. God makes all the trees. He said to Adam, you can freely eat of all the trees. And one of them was the tree of life. And he said, there's one tree right there in the middle of the garden. Don't eat it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day you eat thereof, if you eat thereof, you'll die. He did not tell him you're going to eat. By the way, I've heard people say, uh, God said you're going to eat of it. No, he didn't. He didn't say in the day that you eat thereof as in a prophecy. The prophecy was what would happen if he ate it. It's really simple. He didn't say I will kill you. He said that tree will kill you. The knowledge of good and evil will kill you. And they died spiritually to God and then he put out of the garden and the world changed and their body changed and eventually their bodies died and now our bodies die because of the entrance of sin, Romans chapter 5, into this world. What's the point? The tree is what killed them. So abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Abstain. All right, Father, pray you to use this time together. Uh, help us, Lord. Help us, Father, to be victorious by virtue of being aware enough of what we ourselves need to abstain from. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.